I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith in our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, today is the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's a feast day of the highest order, and most years it is a holy day of obligation. This year, since it falls on a Saturday, uh, it has been moved to tomorrow. The same is true on years that it falls on a Monday. Uh, But it would still be an excellent day, an excellent day to attend a daily Mass. They're generally a little bit shorter. Of course, today is a solemnity, so it may not be all that much shorter. Uh, but it's just a wonderful feast uh, and one that really sets us as Catholics apart because many of our doctrines are shared by all of those uh, who claim the name of Christ. And yet those that, that deal with Mary are, are maybe a little bit more controversial. So today we're going to air an interview that we did last week. Last week while you were listening to Dale Alquist here on the show, and if you missed it, of course, that's podcast. But last week while you were listening to Dale Alquist, I was in Wichita, Kansas at the Midwest Catholic Family Conference, and I was interviewing Tim Staples. He's got a brand new book called Behold Your Mother that we're going to give away later in the show, but he looks at all the Marian doctrines, and given that today is that solemnity, I thought this would be a great time Uh, to air that interview that we had with him. So as always, we're going to get to that in just a moment. As always, we're going to start our time together in prayer. Let us glorify our Savior, who chose the Virgin Mary for his mother. Let us ask him, may your mother intercede for us, Lord. Son of justice, the Immaculate Virgin, was the white dawn announcing your rising. Grant that we may always live in the light of your coming. Lord, help us imitate Mary, your mother, who chose the best part. May we seek the food that will sustain us forever. Savior of the world, by your redeeming might, you preserved your mother beforehand from all stain of sin. Keep watch over us, lest we sin. You are our holy Redeemer, who made the Immaculate Virgin Mary your purest home and the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Make us temples of your Holy Spirit forever. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Almighty, ever-living God, who assumed the Immaculate Virgin Mary, the mother of your Son, body and soul, into heavenly glory, grant, we pray, that always attentive to the things that are above, we may merit to be sharers of her glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today on this solemnity, the Church gives us the scriptural references that they use for this doctrine. And that's going to help us in our discussion as we go on today. The reading today, our first reading, comes from the book of Revelation, uh, crossing chapter 11 and chapter 12. God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. 
She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its seven heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth, to devour her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert, where she had a place prepared by God. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have salvation and power come, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his anointed one. That reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 11 and chapter 12. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 45. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. The queen takes her place at your right hand, in gold of Ophir. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. Hear, O daughter, and see, turn your ear, forget your people and your father's house. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. So shall the king desire your beauty, for he is your lord. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. They are borne in with gladness and joy. They enter the palace of the king. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. Today's second reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead also came through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life but each one in proper order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom of his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he subjected everything under his feet. That reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 1. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations shall call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm, and has scattered the proud in their conceit. 
He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. That comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Today's reading from church history appropriately comes from the Apostolic Constitution, Municipentissimus Deus, by Venerable Pius XII. In their homilies and sermons on this feast, the Holy Fathers and the great doctors spoke of the assumption of the Mother of God as something already familiar and accepted by the faithful. They gave it greater clarity in their preaching and used more profound arguments in setting out its nature and meaning. Above all, they brought out more clearly the fact that what is commemorated in this feast is not simply the total absence of corruption from the dead body of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also her triumph over death and her glorification in heaven after the pattern set by her only Son, Jesus Christ. Thus, St. John Damascene, preeminent as the great preacher of this truth of tradition, speaks with powerful eloquence when he relates the bodily assumption of the loving Mother of God to her other gifts and privileges. Quote, it was necessary that she who preserved her virginity inviolate in childbirth should also have her body kept free from corruption after death. It was necessary that she who carried the Creator as a child on her breast should dwell in the tabernacles of God. It was necessary that the bride espoused by the Father should make her home in the bridal chambers of heaven. It was necessary that she, who had gazed on her crucified Son and been pierced in the heart by the sword of sorrow which she had escaped in giving him birth, should contemplate him seated with the Father. It was necessary that the mother of God should share the possessions of her son and be venerated by every creature as the mother and handmaid of God. St. Germanus of Constantinople considered that it was in keeping not only with her divine motherhood, but also with the unique sanctity of her virginal birth that it was incorrupt and carried up to heaven. Quote, in the words of Scripture, you appear in beauty. Your virginal body is entirely holy, entirely chaste, entirely the house of God, so that for this reason also it is henceforth a stranger to decay, a body changed. Because a human body, to a preeminent life of incorruptibility, but still a living body, a body inviolate and sharing in the perfection of life. Quote. Another early author declares, quote, Therefore, as the most glorious mother of Christ, our God and Savior, the giver of life and immortality, she is enlivened by him to share an eternal incorruptibility of body with him who raised her from the tomb and took her to himself in a way he alone can tell, close quote. All these reasonings and considerations of the Holy Fathers rest on Scripture as their ultimate foundation. Scripture portrays the loving mother of God almost before our very eyes, as most intimately united with her divine Son, and always sharing in his destiny. Above all, it must be noted that from the second century the Holy Fathers present the Virgin Mary as the new Eve, most closely associated with the new Adam, though subject to him in the struggle against the enemy from the netherworld. This struggle, as the first promise of a Redeemer implies, was to end in perfect victory over sin and death. 
always linked together in the writings of the Apostle of the Gentiles. Therefore, just as the glorious resurrection of Christ was an essential part of this victory and its final trophy, so the struggle shared by the Blessed Virgin and her Son was to end in the glorification of her virginal body. As the same Apostle says, when this mortal body has clothed itself in immortality, then will be fulfilled the word of Scripture, death is swallowed up in victory. Hence, the august Mother of God, mysteriously united from all eternity with Jesus Christ, in one and the same decree of predestination, immaculate in her conception, a virgin inviolate in her divine motherhood, the wholehearted companion of the divine Redeemer who won complete victory over sin and its consequences, gained at last the supreme crown of her privileges, to be preserved, immune from the corruption of the tomb. And, like her son, when death has been conquered, to be carried up body and soul to the exalted glory of heaven, there to sit in splendor at the right hand of her son, the immortal king of the ages. That reading from church history comes from the Apostolic Constitution, Unificentissimus Deus, by the venerable Pope Pius XII. Well, the Marian doctrines are certainly tricky ones. Most of our Protestant brothers and sisters that we are surrounded by are pretty opposed to the Marian doctrines. And as a Protestant, former Protestant myself coming into the church, really my understanding and assent to the doctrines regarding Mary came after uh, just agreeing to be docile to the church, to say the church has been around longer than I have and she has proven right on all these different occasions. I will trust her about the Marian doctrines. Uh, and I've come to a place where I now embrace them, but it took time and it took my obedience to the church. And because this is such a tricky topic, we're bringing in the big guns. So right after this break, we're going to air an interview that we had last week with Tim Staples, who is the Director of Apologetics and Evangelization for Catholic Answers. Uh, and he's just written a brand new book called Behold Your Mother, tackling all of those Marian doctrines. We're going to be giving that away later in the show, so stick around. Visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls, and join this conversation. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. This is Charles Beard from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I'm listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. This is Terry Barber, and you're listening to Outside the Wall with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We are here in Wichita, Kansas at the Midwest Catholic Family Conference, and I am sitting here with Tim Staples. Now, Tim, you were here on the show a couple of weeks ago, but that was from a, a long distance. <laughs> That's right. We kind of put that together on short notice, but here we are face-to-face. -face. So thank you for being on the show, taking the time away from your booth to come over and talk to us. It is great to be here among 4,000 of my closest friends. Now, we're here and we're talking uh, about Mary. And we're going to talk about Mary because this show is going to be airing while we're here on the 7th through the 9th in August. We're going to air this show on the 15th of August, which of Praise course God. is The Assumption of Mary. And you have a brand new book called uh, Behold, Behold Your, Your Mother. Mother. So Behold Your Mother is all about Mary. Yes. And as my listeners know, I am a convert. I came, you're a convert as well. You've been around longer than I have. <laughs> I came into the church in 2011. And for me, 
uh, I grew up Methodist, and so uh, okay. there was this whole idea of of holiness and living holy lives and striving yes. for holiness. And so, doctrines like purgatory weren't really a big deal for me, right? Because there was already this sense of uh, needing to be purified. Yes, and and doctrines like the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist yeah. weren't really a big jump for me either, because in the Wesleyan tradition, yes. there is some semblance of an understanding. That's right. But for me, the Marian doctrines were the tricky ones. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, you know, I still don't know that I fully understand them, but, but I trust the church Amen. implicitly. Yes. And so I want to talk to you specifically about this doctrine of the assumption. Yes. Uh, because it's one that when we're talking with our, our Protestant brothers and sisters and some of, some of them who are listening to us right now, right. Uh, it's one of those that they s- see to be completely <laughs> extra biblical in their mind. Sure. And f- for someone whose only authority would be the authority of scripture. Yes. They think that this is something that we've added. Sure. So I'm just going to give you some free reign for a moment. Sure. We'll, we'll go from that conversation from there. Yeah. And you're, you're really singing my tune here because, you know, we used to say as, as Protestants that the assumption is the biggest, the biggest assumption ever made because <laughs> there's nothing about it in the Bible or in history. You know, yeah. I find as, as I point out in my book, it's amazing how many evangelicals today are using the historical argument and saying, we don't even have anything from the earliest fathers on this thing, as well as you know nothing in Scripture. Well, I, I blow away both of those in, in my book, where I deal with all six of the major doctrines, uh, Marian doctrines, from the four dogmas of Mother of God, Immaculate Conception, Perpetual Virginity, and Assumption, but I also deal with co-redemptrix, mediatrix of all grace, and her queenship as well. Mm-hmm. But on the assumption, uh, you'll often hear our, our Protestant friends use things like John 3.13, right? Where right. Uh, Jesus himself says, no one has ascended to the Father except for the Son of Man who is from right. uh, heaven. And they say, see, no one has ascended into heaven. And yet, what are you saying about, you know, Mary has ascended into heaven. And, you know, I point out in the book that, well, of course, no one had ascended into heaven at the time Jesus said that he was speaking in about 30 AD. Mm -hmm. So no one had ascended into heaven. His whole point was, except for the son of man who is from heaven or descended from heaven, his point is that he's God, that, you know, the son of man, even in his humanity, because ultimately the subject of the divine of, of the human nature is the divine person, he can say, "Hey, I am in heaven. I was in heaven. I descended from heaven. Why? Because I'm I'm God." So the point he's making here is not that no one will ever ascend into heaven. I mean, otherwise, what is all this heaven stuff about, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, that's not a verse that says anything against the assumption of Mary. And you have other verses like First Corinthians 15, where um, St. Paul talks about Christ being the first fruits of the resurrection, right? And the rest will be resurrected when He comes again. Hey, there's no mention of Mary here. What, what's up? Well, we say that Mary is an exception mm-hmm. uh, to that general theological norm, which, as you know, Timothy, commonly in sacred scripture, we have exceptions to general theological norms. For example, in Hebrews nine twenty-seven, the scripture says it's appointed for each man once to die. And then the judgment. Wait, what about Lazarus? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not only Lazarus. I mean, Jesus raised the dead. You have Elijah raising the dead, Elisha, Paul, Peter, Jesus. And in Matthew 27, after the resurrection, we have people walking out of tombs. Right. So we have lots of people who presumably died at least twice. The point is, 
that there are exceptions to general theological norms. And when it comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary, of course, she is an exception as well. Now, some will ask this, Timothy. Well, why doesn't St. Paul, why don't the other writers of the New Testament mention? If there was this assumption, wouldn't somebody talk about it? Right. And I just like to point out, especially now that scholarship is showing us just how early the epistles as well as the gospels were written Mm -hmm. it's no surprise at all that they wouldn't talk about mary assumed if she was still walking around right you know saint luke talks about mary in acts chapter one like hey she's still around (laughs) so it's not a surprise except for the book of revelation now i know there are some scholars today who will say even it was written fairly early i tend to go with saint irenaeus on this that it was written later but the point is that book may well be the last book of the Bible written. Mm -hmm. And surprise, what do we have? We have the depiction of the woman on her head in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, a crown with 12 stars. She gives birth to the Messiah there in verses 4 and 5, the the man-child who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, which is a, a quotation from Psalm 2, a messianic psalm that refers to Jesus Christ, there is no doubt that the woman, this cosmic woman, crown on her head, the moon uh, under her feet, gives birth to the Messiah. Gee, who would this woman be but the Blessed Virgin Mary? And then, by the way, in verse 17, it says not only does she give birth to the Messiah, but she also gives birth to all of us, all who have the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. So here's the point. Mary is clearly depicted in this glorious state, assumed into heaven. Now, some will say, but wait a second, Tim, that doesn't mean she's assumed bodily. There's lots of folks in heaven, and that's true. But the key is the context makes clear Mary is there bodily. Why? Notice, crown on her head, moon under her feet. Right. Compare that to the same book, Revelation 6, verse 9, when we see the martyrs in heaven, what does it say? Mm -hmm. The souls of the martyrs under the altar call out to God how long do you avenge our blood you go to Hebrews 12 24 and we see the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven whereas the woman in Revelation 12 is depicted bodily in heaven now we don't have a camera shot of Mary going up through the clouds but in order to get there with her body there had to be an assumption so this is a very biblically rooted and there's there's more that I have in in my book but this is very much rooted biblically and then when you get to the hi- history Timothy it is exciting mm-hmm. when you see that's just since 1950 and uh, you know when Pope Pius XII declared infallibly on the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and munificentissimus Deus mm-hmm. he, we read that earlier in the show oh excellent He issued a challenge to the bishops of the world years before to bring evidence for a written succession back to the apostles, Mm -hmm. a written account of the assumption. Well, it didn't happen. And so when Pope Pius XII uh, wrote, you know, the, the document promulgating the dogma, he didn't mention the written tradition. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what's exciting is that Pope Pius XII basically launched theologians, archaeologists on a sort of quest to find the evidence. And let me tell you, in the last 60 years, there's been an enormous amount of new discoveries. For example, we now have fragments of the famous 
transitus narratives mm -hmm. that go all the way back to the third century. And Pope St. John Paul the Great says will eventually be placed in the second century. But all the way back to the third century now, we know there are written accounts of the transitus narratives, which is the Assumption of Blessed Virgin Mary. We have a homily of Timothy of Jerusalem that has now been dated by some scholars to the fourth century, the 300s. It used to be said there was no historical evidence right. of the Assumption until the fifth or even sixth centuries, right? St. Gregory of Tours in the sixth century, for example. But now we have Timothy of Jerusalem. We have St. Epiphanius in his Panarion, where he compares Mary to Elijah, who was taken up without dying. Now, that's interesting because there's two traditions in the church, one that she died and was resurrected, and another that she never died. Well, St. Epiphanius came down on the side of the one there, there's less historical evidence for, but nevertheless... Mm -hmm. The point is, in the 4th century, the argument was not over the assumption. The argument was over whether she died or not. Right. So this is tremendous advancement just in the last 50, 60 years. Well, and I, I like to point out to, to those who ask me this question that it's not without precedence because we do have Elijah. We do have Enoch who walked with God and was no more in the book of Genesis. Amen. We do have these, these examples of God making exception for <laughs> specifically holy people, Absolutely. which of course we believe that to be true of the Blessed Virgin Mary, yep. uh, and, and drawing them into heaven. And one of the things you mentioned in, in the scripture that no one has ascended to heaven but the Son who came from heaven, yes. well, we make a distinction between ascension, which is under your own power, an assumption Amen. which is being drawn up by the power of God. Amen. That's in my book, Excellent. Timothy. That's in my book, but you're right. You know, what's amazing to me, Timothy, as, as an apologist that's been debating folks of other world religions for the last 21 years professionally, but more than that, even in my seminary days, I'm finding that more and more are not even objecting anymore so much biblically as they are that historical argument. Yeah. You know, evangelical friends of mine will say, you know, there's just n nothing there historically. So I'm really excited about being able to share with folks that, you know, here, let me give you one example of what I'm talking about. If you read the great Dr. Ludwig Ott in his book, that's a classic, Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, it's fantastic, published in 1950. His, because of the, the state of study back then, he claims there was no evidence for the assumption until the 6th century, right in his book. And yet today, we have evidence all the way back to the 4th, even the 3rd, and perhaps beyond that. But definitely back to the 3rd century, just since Ludwig Ott wrote his book in wow. 1950. Well, we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. We want you to join in the conversation. Join us on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. We've got a lot more. We're going to be giving away Tim's book in the fourth segment, so stick around. You're not going to want to miss it. Hi, this is Brenda Moy from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Hi, this is Jennifer Karbowski from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Hello, this is Jake Samore, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Hello, I'm Father Simeon from St. Gregory's Abbey, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
This is Mark Wiebe from Wichita, Kansas, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Hi, this is Tim Staples, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. This is Paige Keithley from Enid, Oklahoma, and you are listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. This is Simka Fisher, and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. We're talking with Tim Staples. The uh, You're the director of apologetics and evangelism for right. Catholic Answers, that great bastion of apologetics out in <laughs> San Diego, California. Amen. I'm very blessed to be. Uh, little correction, director of apologetics and evangelization. Ah. But you almost got it. Almost. And we're very, very blessed uh, to have 40 I think we're up to 48 now, full-time employees out in San Diego, all on the same page. We are all about giving folks Catholic answers, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we alone as Catholics possess. Now, you know, some people may not know this, but Catholic Answers is more than a radio show. Yes. Y'all have a a publishing arm where you put out books. Of course, your books are published there. Jimmy Aiken's books are published there. Many, many other Excellent, excellent books. Uh, we're going to be giving away one of those today, your brand new book, Behold Your Mother, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more in just a moment. But you also have, in addition to the publishing arm, in addition to the radio, you're doing some, even some, got a new studio you're building with some video equipment so people yes. can watch it. We're going to start doing television. We've got uh, our magazine, Catholic Answers Magazine. Mm-hmm. We've got a seminars department. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Radio, television. And then and, the web. You yeah. have Catholic.com, which yes. y'all lucked out on that domain name. <laughs> we did. And we are actually, the, a lot of folks don't know this, we're the second most visited Catholic website in the world. We are only surpassed by one, and that's the Vatican. And, and we're fine with being number two to <laughs> the Vatican. Right, it's right <laughs> and proper that that should be first. Yes, that's you know, right. That's one of the big things on this show is... Everyone's looking for the next big thing and the next, the next uh, new and improved. And that's why we read from the Church Fathers every episode, because yeah. we have such wealth in, in our tradition yes. uh, that a lot of people <laughs> don't know about. They miss the St. John of the Cross or St. Teresa of Avila yeah. or all of these beautiful, deep, rich conversations that have been given to us by the Church. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about Catholic Answers is that y'all aren't coming up with with any new and improved ideas, but you're (laughs) expounding on what the church has already given us. You know, it was Carl Keating who said to me, for those who don't know, Carl Keating was our founder and president. He is no longer our president. He's now writing for us. He's Mm -hmm. he's, uh, a fellow at Catholic Answers, and we're excited about him hanging around for a while. Yeah. But uh, Carl told me about 11 years ago when I first came to Catholic Answers that, Tim, we are not about speculation. We're not about innovation. We are about giving people Catholic answers. They don't want to know your opinions. They want to know what is the truth of the Catholic faith. And we really try uh, to hold fast to that line that was really established by Carl. We're not personality driven. It's not about Tim Staples, Jimmy Aiken, Carl Keating, Trent Horn, or anybody else. It is about our Catholic faith. When I tell you, whenever some big thing comes out on the news and and the media works themselves up into a froth and the bloggers get all upset because of what the media said, either for or against the Pope, for or against the church, I wait 
for Jimmy Aiken or for, <laughs> for whoever else at Catholic Answers to come out and say, okay, let's take a deep breath. Let's take a look. Let's calm down. <laughs> let's take a, an objective look at what was actually said and, yes. and put it in the framework of the whole history of the church. And then we're going to see whether or not this is something really we should be upset about. Exactly. And, you know, it's just such an invaluable resource Amen. for people in the church. Amen. So we're talking today about your new book, Behold Your Mother. And we talked about the Assumption of Mary in the last segment, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Mary's place in salvation history. Yes. You know, the salvation history, of course, which began shortly after the moment of creation with the fall. <laughs> and that's part of our salvation history. And, and there's this beautiful ancient prayer that says, Oh, happy fault. Yes. The, the, the fall. That's right. That gained for us so great a redeemer. Yes. And so let's talk about salvation history from fall through yeah. uh, the Old Testament and the prophecies and the sure. longing to that moment yes. when Christ broke into human history and redeemed us from ourselves. Really. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, this is so crucial for our Christian faith. This is what it's all about for our Catholic Christian faith. But what the Blessed Mother brings to the table, I think, is, and, and I point this out in the book when we talk about co-redemptrix and mediatrix of all grace, that Jesus doesn't save us. God doesn't save us without us. Yeah. In other words, you know, John Calvin was was profoundly wrong, as was Martin Luther in, in his book. I knew I liked uh, you. Bondage, yeah, bondage <laughs> of the will, where both of them, especially Luther, the will is entirely passive. We have no role to play whatsoever in our own salvation. Our wills are entirely passive. And, of course, Calvin takes that and puts it on steroids. But the point is here that Mary is the ultimate example of the error of that teaching because God chose this little girl really to not just reveal to us who God is because of course in and through her we come to see who God is as Father Son Holy Spirit who Jesus Christ is the God man all mm -hmm. through this this 14 year old little girl 15 year old little girl Mary but she also reveals to us who we are yeah. because in the Blessed Virgin Mary we see in all of the most important events of salvation history where a human person was involved, Mary is front and center, and she's essential. She's not just an add-on. She's essential. You say, well, how, how can you say it? Well, let's look at the incarnation in Luke 1, verses 37 and 38. Without Mary, there is no Jesus. That's right. There's no incarnation because until Mary says yes, the Word is not made flesh and, and dwells among us. That's the incarnation. We have... Uh, I, I like to refer to it as Mary giving birth to the ministry of Jesus in John chapter two at the wedding feast of the Cana, and at the wedding feast of Cana, unless Mary says they have no wine, and then mm -hmm. Jesus responds, "Tiem moi kaisoi gune," right? <laughs> what to me and to you, woman, my hour is not yet come. Mary says, "Get ready, here comes the miracle." In other words, Jesus appears not to want to do it. I don't want to do this, Mom. She says, "Yes, you do," and here it comes. Why? Because here we see the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary intimately and necessarily by the will of God involved in giving birth to Jesus' ministry, his first miracle. And we see in, in John 2, 11, that there Jesus begins to manifest his glory and the apostles come to faith through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then, of course, we have the prophecy of Simeon from Luke 2, verses 34 yeah. and 35, which prophetically... He prophesied 
that at the foot of the cross we see fulfilled in John 19, Mary would suffer with her son, the Immaculate Heart, joined to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, resulting in the redemption of all. And we see that so powerfully symbolized in Behold Your Mother, mm-hmm. right, uh, to, to John, who right. of course is there in the place of all of us. And we know that because John gives us the answer in the back of the book there in Revelation 12, <laughs> verses 4 and 5. He has the woman, Mary, giving birth to the Messiah. But then in verse 17, she also gives birth to all of us. That is, all who have the testimony of Jesus Christ and keep his commandments. And then in Revelation 12, if you look at the whole chapter, you have this cosmic overview of Mary's role along with her divine son. In fact, prophetically, before the world was even created, down to the incarnation and on into eternity, Mary is joined with her son in bringing redemption to us all. And you know what, Timothy? That to me is an example of how Mary reveals to us our own dignity as human persons. We're not just, you know, as, as Martin Luther said in Bondage of the Will, we're just donkeys, you know, and if God gets on our back and rides us, he'll ride us to heaven. If the devil gets on our back and rides us, he'll ride us to hell. But Luther said, we have no choice as to who rides us. Hogwash. God has given us this incredible dignity of free will, this dignity that we can cooperate with God's grace. We can say yes to God. And no, we're not called to, you know, redeem the whole world, change the entire universe as Mary was because her role was singular in that regard. But we are called in imitation of Mary to say yes to God in our lives. And in so doing, we can contribute to the salvation of other souls, our own as well as others as well. Well, and you know, there's also this idea that part of that redemption, part of that participation in the redemption that Christ offers uh, follows the road of the cross. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to take Mary, as Simeon said, a, soul, uh, a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's right. And it's going to take us as disciples Amen. into a place of suffering. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, Timothy, I mean... A lot of Catholics don't know that among the the lengthy litany that we have in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary, one of her titles is Queen of Martyrs. And a lot of people say, what? Queen of Martyrs? But she wasn't martyred. She was not martyred in a bloody way, but she is a white martyr. In Mm -hmm. fact, she's Queen of Martyrs because she suffered more than all the martyrs combined. Why? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18 says, Where there is much knowledge, there is much sorrow. Where there is much wisdom, there is much pain. Why is that? Because, you know, a body can only suffer so much and then it will go numb. Mm-hmm. But a heart, one who loves, one who knows, suffers much, much more. Spiritual suffering is more intense than bodily suffering. Mary suffered more because she loved more. She loved her son, knew her son so intimately that her sufferings were magnified. As Pope St. John Paul the Great says in his great Salvafici Dolores, that wonderful book on suffering, he says, Mary's sufferings were joined in such a way to our, our blessed Lord that she participated in the redemption of all. Wonderful. And all of this is in your book and more. And much more. (laughs) So we're going to be giving that away right in just a moment when we come back from this break. I'm talking with Tim Staples at the Wichita, the Midwest Catholic Family Conference in Wichita, Kansas. Always good to have you on the show. 
You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. I am here in Wichita, Kansas at the Midwest Catholic Family Conference with Tim Staples, the director of, let's see if I can get this right this time, director of apologetics and evangelization. You got it. (laughs) At Catholic Answers in San Diego, California, sunny San Diego. And we just have had a great conversation about your book. If you missed it, if you're just now tuning in, don't worry. You can get this on podcast. Just go over to iTunes or on. Uh, just go to our website and find out how to download other podcasting apps, OutsideTheWalls.com. Of course, when you're on iTunes, just type in Outside the Walls in the store, and it'll pop up, and you can listen to the whole show again. But right now, it's time to give something away. And what we're going to give away is a signed copy of Behold Your Mother from Tim Staples. Of course, it's easy to get a signed copy when I've got him sitting right in front of me. This is great. Uh, And so we've got a trivia question. So you're going to want to be near Google uh, so that you can type it in feverishly as soon as he asks. Because the first person to get back with me, whether that be through our Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, whether it be through Twitter at our handle is at outside the walls, or whether it be through our comment line, 918-928-KPIM, that's 918-928-5746, the first person to answer this trivia question, I am going to mail this book, the whole thing, uh, not just part of it. With the hardbound cover and the signature and all free of charge to your address, the one that you give me, uh, just as soon as uh, as I hear from you. So let's go ahead and ask that question. Yes. Well, earlier when we talked about the assumption, we talked about Enoch and Elijah in the Old Testament mm-hmm. being taken up um, to heaven, as it were. We have two other sort of quasi-assumptions, if you will. Okay. And in the book of Revelation, the question is, who were they and where are they in the book of Revelation? Who else was taken up into heaven? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe even uh, in a similar way to Jesus. Yeah, that's right. right. There's a specific specific accoutrement that goes with them as Jesus had as well. Yeah. Uh, Who else was taken up into heaven? Uh, You're going to find that in the book of Revelation. Who were they and where? in the book of Revelation. Do we find them? Chapter and verse, please. Chapter and verse. <laughs> Go ahead and give me a call. 918-928-KPIM. Answer it on Facebook. Facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Whether it be through Twitter, our handle is at outside the walls and we will be glad to send you this lovely, hardbound, beautiful book full of all of the Marian doctrines and explanations for them called Behold Your Mother, brand new book by Tim Staples. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time away from your booth giving us this time a little bit more than we anticipated (laughs) due to some technical difficulties. Thank you for being on the show. Great to be with you, Timothy. God bless you. Keep up the good work. You too. I have to tell you, last week we had just an amazing time at the Midwest Catholic Family Conference. It comes around every year, the first full weekend of August. So go ahead and uh, mark it down on your calendar. Tim Staples is there almost every year. Uh, But there are just a number of other excellent speakers. And, of course, we'll always be there. We just enjoy it uh, quite a bit. And, frankly, my kids wouldn't let me not go. So I I want to encourage you, go to your calendar right now and set that time aside. Uh, It's worth the drive. It's worth the trip. But let's, uh, let's talk just a little bit more in the time we have left about Mary. Because today is 
the feast, the, it's the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There are simply so many different ways to, to look at and to voice the, the words of Mary in Scripture. You know, some people see her as a little bit of a nag. Other people see her as trying to, to force Jesus into certain actions, specifically that action at the wedding feast at Cana. And we, maybe we project our own experience onto her. I, th- I think of standing and watching actors standing in front of the mirror, uh, saying a line a million different ways. Hi. I'm Timothy Putnam. Hi, I'm Timothy Putnam. Hi, I'm Timothy Putnam. You know, that, that whole idea. And we, we do that to Mary in looking at her words in as many different lights from our own context as we can. And so I've just recently begun to look at Mary and the words of Mary and the actions of Mary in Scripture, starting with the church's opinion of Mary and looking to see how they may be different than the ways that I have previously expected. I've really begun recently to appreciate Mary quite a bit more, and a lot of that is through the writings of one of our previous guests on this show. Uh, Joe Heschmeyer is uh, the blogger at shamelesspopery.com and is a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, and he's got an article that I want to link to, uh, and I'll put in the, in the information on our blog at outsidethewalls.com, and I'll also link to it on the podcast. This show, of course, is podcast through iTunes and other various feed media. You can find out how to get that at OutsideTheWalls.com. But he has this article talking about specifically the wedding at Cana, where the traditional uh, Protestant view is that uh, Mary bugs Jesus and pesters Jesus into taking care of this miracle of the wine. Uh, And Jesus says, uh, it's not yet my time. And she says, do whatever he tells you, as if she's ignoring Jesus in this moment, in this crucial moment. Uh, Joe has this beautiful article on this a few months ago. And he says, there's another interpretation, however, that Jesus is cautioning her. Mary has come to Christ with an implicit request for a miracle. Jesus responds by addressing her as woman. A lot could be said of that title and its implications for Mary is the new Eve, It's the name that Adam first gives to Eve in the Garden of Eden. For now, though, it's sufficient to recognize that it's not rude to call Mary woman. Jesus does this again on the cross in John 19, and Paul does it in Galatians 4, and in both places it's unambiguously positive. But he warns her that his hour has not yet come. And this is not a reference to the start of his earthly ministry, it's a reference to his passion. Indeed, all throughout the Gospels, when Christ refers to the hour or his hour, he's speaking of his crucifixion. Read in this light, Mary's response makes sense. It's a faithful acceptance that the fact that the second person of the Trinity didn't take on humanity simply to stay at home. After all, Mary's response is a call for the servants to obey Christ. So even here, when Christ says, If you do this, my ministry will begin and my passion will come, Mary says, let it be done to me according to your word. Do whatever he tells you, she says. Well, there's so much more that we could talk about, but we simply don't have the time. Tune in next week. We're going to be talking with Charles Camosi. He's an associate professor of theology at Fordham University and a frequent columnist on the Washington Post. We're going to be talking about the Pain Capable Act coming up in the Senate. Well, until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.